Hi, you're listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time podcast. Let me set the scene. You have a bold, clever and heartbreakingly authentic new work that you can't wait to share with audiences. But you're also aware that there's a certain depth of intimacy that will be required of your actors. What are you going to do to make sure that everyone involved is looked after so they feel safe in the process and can perform at their best? You call Nigel Poulton. He's not only an internationally renowned fight coordinator, but also an expert in intimacy direction. Today's episode is a fascinating conversation about loving and fighting on stage in our world premiere season of Glace Chase's Triple X. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Quality Time podcast, but welcome back to them in 2021. We started these as a series of conversations with Queensland Theatre as a company, to sort of crack open the company to you and, and introduce you to some of the extraordinary people working here. A very small team, but very big compared to sometimes the size of our, our casts on stage. So we wanted to share with you the very different stories of the people who work in the company, who have given their life to theatre, but you will never see on the stage. And now that's evolved into 2021, where we have our shows on the stage, and we are very lucky here in Brisbane to be able to have full houses. Thanks again to the Queensland government for all the work that they've done to make this possible for us, because honestly, it's been a joy being back in the foyer, being back in the Bill Brown Theatre, and seeing the wonder of a community coming together and being comfortable in that space and sharing a story together because really that's what it comes down to. We tell stories for people and we hope they like them. (laughs) So this is another version of that, one of those silver linings that came out of 2021. And I am sitting here at the moment on the lands of the Yuggera and Aturable people on a land which has had stories, amazing stories told for tens of thousands of years. And we feel very honoured to be able to put a new story onto this land and we're going to do a lot of new stories on this land over the course of the next year and we pay our respects to elders past and present who've been the custodians of the magic of storytelling and we thank them for all the work that they've done to make sure that there will be tens of thousands of years of stories to come. I'm sitting here today with the fabulous Nigel Poulton. Nigel, I first met many years ago. I'm trying to remember when we first met, Nigel. But I worked with you as what was called then, you know, a fight choreographer. Mm. And you came into the space. And I felt an amazing trust and connection with you in working with and sharing the space with you as it was called fight choreographer. But that's evolved over the last 10 years to become a very different a, a different job in the space. It's now that the scope of your work has evolved from that original fight space, from my point of view, to almost a co-direction space when it comes to the idea of intimacy on stage and the complexity of physical representation of relationships. Sometimes it's in fight space, sometimes it's in the love and lust space, sometimes it's in the power dynamic space. And I've been fascinated by the evolving conversation over the last few years. So welcome to Queen, back to Queensland Theatre. Thank you. I'm so glad to be be here. I really am. Super excited. Now, you're back in the building with Triple X. 
which was the show that stopped last year due to COVID. It sure was. We were in the space that terrible, terrible day where we had to make the decision to close down the theatre for mm. we didn't know how long. One of the most awful moments in my life as, a, as an artistic director was having to face a playwright and a group of artists and say, we won't be doing the show tonight and we don't know when it's going to come back. Mm. So we shut it all down. But I had the, the great privilege of having seen a couple of previews already and you'd worked the story and the show to a point where it was just about ready to open to the audience. Mm. And now we're back mm. at almost the same time of year. What's it like being back with a story that you know so well but with, a, with some shifts in casting, so new people in the show, and a chance to bring it back where we didn't know that that was going to happen? What's it been like? Oh, it's been great. I think everyone is grateful that there's been a commitment to bring this production back. I mean, everyone has invested so much in it and, you know, particularly for Glace, you know, the, being the author of the work and being largely influenced by, by her life, you know, it's Yeah, a it's based on some of her personal experiences yeah. working in New York and it's essentially a love story. So there's a layer of fiction about it that you're seeing on stage, but it's, it, it's a beautiful contemporary love story. Mm. And it was hard to break her heart last year in saying we're not going to do the play, but, but we'd seen it and we'd seen those first couple of preview audiences and how much they loved the story. So we knew we were going to bring it back. We just didn't know when. <laughs> well, you know, we also, from the cast and creator's point of view, I guess from my point of view, we also watched the company struggle with trying to keep this happening like it was a real struggle you know we got a sense that it was very hard for you to do it you know and of course it was and so we you know we understood that the circumstances were just beyond our control beyond everyone's control and around the country at that time yeah. all the theaters were closing and many productions were being shut down and and that petrifying place for people we, we don't know when theater is going to start again yeah. and so people watching their years plans their work for a year just evaporate over the course of a couple of days really yeah horrible memory and i'm sorry to bring it back <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully again we're working towards being able to be confidently back in theaters that all being said you know it's been a very charged and difficult time and you're one of the you know the first teams coming back and re-rehearsing something bringing back a story from last year and i'm conscious that that's a a complicated thing to do. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit, ask you a little bit about your role in the in the rehearsal room and uh, how that's evolved over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, where mm. you started mm. and where you find yourself now. Yeah. I should start there because it gives it a bit of context, I think. Like you're saying, I was and still am uh, a fight and movement director and had a background in fight choreography and, and various other movement disciplines. And I think that part of my role over time was that I was inevitably asked to deal with moments of intimacy and awkwardness on stage and because there was never really anyone that was designated specifically to do that. And over time, you kind of, you hopefully you develop a respectful practice around that work. And there's no real way to tell other than you keep getting asked back. And, you know, so... Well, you start to build up a, like directors and actors and companies who, yeah. who understand your value to a room and want that 
to be there to support the productions. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, b- keeping on being hired is a really good marker of you, you're good at your job. <laughs> yeah. And and because I think the, the intrinsic element of all of those is, is about trust. You're garnering the trust of the cast. You're garnering the trust of production. And so, you know, there's there's a large responsibility in the work. I got to a point where I was well, intermittently being asked to do this kind of work. And I also knew that there were there was a burgeoning specialisation happening, particularly in the US, and the role of intimacy director and intimacy coordinator was starting to be defined in its own right. And there were people that were setting up a pedagogy around that process and indeed a our certification process around it. And one of those people, one of the people leading that movement is a lady called Alicia Rodas who eventually became my mentor and still is my mentor actually. Alicia and I go way back to when I used to work in New York and and she's a stunt performer and an actor in the city. And so we did quite a lot of work together. And I watched that process unfold and I became intrigued, fascinated, interested, eventually got to a point where I was like, I would like to have my own process vetted against people that were doing this kind of work, intimacy work, as a specialisation. And they were doing it in one of the most competitive markets in the world and they were essentially building best practice. And so I engaged in a, and this evolved over a a few years too, but, you know, and a long and extended dialogue with Alicia who eventually invited me over to, why don't you come over and train? Why don't you come over and I'll I'll mentor you? And I thought, yes, I would would love that. I, you know, be very grateful if you would do that. So that, you know, that led to me going over there and training with Alicia over the last two, three years, I've been training with her and with the organisation that she founded, eventually getting certified as an intimacy director and intimacy coordinator, which ironically enough was not something I wanted to do. Like I wasn't, I didn't ever go over there to train to go, I wanted to be there. I wanted to have my process, like I said, vetted. And I wanted to then hopefully through the initial training be able to value add to my own process uh, and practice and do better is you know what what I was always seeking to do to make sure that I could always do better in any everything that I do and you know once I started training I was like this is incredible this this work is incredible this process around the the training process around the work is incredible you know and that's when I decided that I would like to go down the track of becoming certified as an intimacy director and intimacy coordinator, which is really something you need to be invited to do because they're obviously not going to provide that pathway for everyone because just some people are really well suited to it, some people aren't. Well, it's it's an interesting space in the room. From a director's point of view, it's really about sharing process with another creator in the trickiest parts of the works. And I use the word tricky with affection <laughs> because I think it in every story and especially in new plays there are unseen difficulties that will come up in both a psychological and physical space because we're telling difficult stories sometimes and taking care of performers and the communication process around how do we talk about some really difficult things and then how do we enact them Mm. in ways that don't cause damage to the performers long term it's an an interesting conversation that's that's been on the rise in the 
the theatre community and definitely also in the film uh, and television community over the last, accelerated over the last five years, but something that has been discussed definitely over the last 10. And it's, it's fascinating to me because that question about not everybody can do this, this is not just something, you know, this is not an online course where you can click and get a certificate. And I wouldn't share my room or my process with anyone that thought it was an easy thing mm -hmm. because it is a, a co-creation uh, and so again, that trust, that trust element to let someone inside your process as a director, I think that's where the industry is at the moment of encouraging directors to lean on expertise that they may not have, that they think they might have, but, but to actually include people in that process. That's right. I agree. And it, like that's, I mean, if we look at Triple X as an example, Paige is, Paige Radray, the director of Triple X, is exactly that kind of director who has embraced this idea and she's incredibly collaborative and respectful in her own right respectful in the workplace so the mere fact that she has been determined to have an intimacy director inside that process speaks a lot I think speaks a lot to her process but also the general process around the work because it is it is a tricky space and it is hard to in a way it's hard to talk about the work and not give uh, you know an indirect kind of historical reference to past practices and I think it's really important to understand that inside this work there have absolutely always been people in this industry that have done really respectful work and have approached this work in in in, in really great ways it's just that there's never been a set of protocols around this work that is consistent that has been tried and tested and that has been adopted as best practice and that's the difference and it's and it's someone who comes in with an understanding of those protocols and how they can be inserted into a production process to ensure that the workflow happens, that the, the creativity happens, that there's, you know, that the, and, the, and that the actors can explore their artistry inside that work. And I think that's a really important element to it and to this whole, this whole idea, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's interesting to me that it's, an, from my point of view on the outside, quite a natural extension of the work that you've always done and the ways you've always worked. So the idea of formalising so that that can actually be, again, what is best practice and how do we build that and how do we know that there's never a full stop on best practice? It's an evolution of a conversation and what we found in the last Absolutely. five years is, is really a, a strength in actor voice starting to say, no, the practices of the past and, again, acknowledging that there have been very good people, very good directors and very good companies insofar as they're supportive, supportive actors in the new work space and in the creation of complex psychological and physical work, there's also been some really bad practice in the past and there has been damage caused. And the strength of the acting community in coming forward and saying this is not okay anymore. We're, not, we're losing great talent and we're damaging people if we don't do this better. Mm. And that's been the conversation of the last five years, I would think, is how do we do it better? Because everyone has the right to turn up to the work and feel safe. Feel safe. And... Yes, we want to build people who feel confident going to work saying, I know what I'm going to do. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to do a really complicated and confronting thing, but I feel equipped to do that as right. opposed to I'm afraid of that or I'm going to be ambushed by something That's or right. I'm not going to feel like I can say no to something in a room because I, I'm worried I won't be hired again. That's right. <laughs> or I don't trust the person to understand what I'm saying. It's, And I think that's, a, that's been the complex space of the last couple of years is actually building that power of performers in the room to say, 
yes, I'm completely fine with this or no, actually, I'm not so sure. And then who do they have in the room to help them crack that open and actually build a creative space for them in there? Because historically we have overestimated the ability of actors to have a voice in the space because there are a lot of constraints to to actors being able to voice that. And so it's through it's through these processes and actually the way that the industry has self-reflected over the last couple of years has opened the door and you have seen actors step into the workplace with more agency now and they they are able to talk about it and the companies do listen. And and I think that this might like my role not me in particular, but my role is an example of that, you know, and it, it is a way to help that agency happen because it is the role of a third-party advocate to be there to liaise between production and the actors and to take care of the actors and to keep having that dialogue to make sure there's transparency in the process so that everyone is informed about what's being asked and that there's consent and there's true consent that's given inside that work. And I think all of those conversations, which happen at various parts through the rehearsal, pre-rehearsal, rehearsal, and even in production are really important. And there's all sorts of different touch points that, that are essential to making, making sure that that is a legitimate part of the process and not token. It's important. Yeah. Well, look, and it's also that funny thing, isn't it, of like, when you say before, during, and I also go after as well. Acknowledging that our, our responsibility to the performers that we work with doesn't end on closing night. Yep. because And especially when you're working with, uh, we, and it's not just about younger performers, but it's about performers doing something that they haven't necessarily done before. And I'm conscious of this, you know, I'm an artistic director and a director with a, you know, an established practice. I have the capacity to give work to people. They get very nervous around me. They don't want to say no because they want the next job. Mm. And I need a third party often in the room that, that that they can go to if they're not comfortable coming to me. And you know, I can try to be as open and accessible and as friendly as I like, but that doesn't mean that someone perceives me as that. That's right. And we're starting to actually crack that open without it being a criticism of, of directors. It's also about acknowledging power structures in the room and how do we how do we really interrogate those hierarchical structures that can make new people, younger people, less powerful people feel like they don't have a voice. Mm. And, and it's a, yes, it's connected to wider societal conversations, but where this is the coalface of it because really you're talking about an industry which we've come up against in the last year where it comes down to you go to work and you might be kissing someone. That's right. Are you okay with that? Most people don't have that as their job. Not many professions ask you to be intimate with no, someone else. Not you know? physically inter- intimate and psychologically intimate. Yeah. And it's yes, it's fiction, but your body doesn't know that necessarily. So how do you how do you represent a fiction with your voice and your body and protect yourself yep. uh, down the track so that you don't look back in 20 years and go, I feel like I was really coerced into doing that. I should have said something. And so you don't blame yourself. I mean, that's good. I can't second guess too much. That'll happen a bit still. But the more support structures we can put in place so that people feel confident in their workplace. You know, it's been really interesting in the last year talking to government about what it is to restart on stage and lobbying for the fact that we need to touch in our rehearsal space, that that's part of our job. Mm. And how do we do that safely? And yes, it involves buckets of hand sanitizing. <laughs> uh, and questions about do we wear masks when we're in that rehearsal space? Yes. What have we got to do to make performers and the teams comfortable? And in the COVID space, I think it's probably in the long term helped because I've found that coming back 
into the theatre space, actors are feeling a lot stronger saying, I'm actually not comfortable with this. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, how can we, you know, I had a play on stage last year, Mouthpiece, where there was a kiss involved. And the actors had to not only navigate how they did that comfortably in a COVID place, but what they were willing to do in their outside lives to keep each other comfortable. Yeah. And I think that those conversations have actually been really great. Yeah, a sense of responsibility around and inside the work and the, and the partnership and the collaborations that exist in the workplace and then how that extends out and how your external life can affect what happens inside. It's kind of put a, put a microscope on it, hasn't it? On our work practice? Oh, definitely. And when that microscope was being held by a, a government person who had switched on to theatre, having just worked on borders, he looks at me and he says, well, do they have to kiss? I'm like, mm, yeah, they kind of do. Yeah. They kind of do for the story to work. If, if they can't kiss, then I can't do this play. Yeah. And he's like, oh, right, okay. And he just never thought about it before. And that's been an amazing time to watch government actually understand what it is that we do. And I think even government understanding it, but getting the general public to understand it and then understanding a role as specific as intimacy directing in itself is its always a challenge. So it's great to have these opportunities actually to talk about it because there's been structures around physical risk for a long time. You know, in the film and TV industry, we have stunt coordinators. And, and that's built over a long time so that people, you know, stunt coordinators aren't, aren't hurting themselves in their practice and... It's just interesting that it's moving into the psychological space yeah. and and also to an acknowledgement that there is so, there are so many layers to intimacy. And that yes, ultimately that question of what, what are the what is the spectrum of of physicality and how do we need to work safely in any physical space? Yeah. 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 It is a huge question. And it's actually it's a question that we I would say we struggle with well, we struggle with I struggled with it certainly in when when the the guidelines for MEA were were developing and were coming up with definitions around intimacy all of a sudden you know when you start having to work through it it, it is a huge huge area really and to be able to narrow it down and be very precise about it is is difficult and it is it really is project by project based depends on the play as to what you're asking of people. Some of the most intimate stories I've done have involved technically no physicality that expresses that. But what I'm fishing around in in people's heads and in my own head, how are we taking care of people in that space? How am I taking care of myself as well as a director? And that extends out then to how do we take care of audience in relation to those stories. So we're asking some big questions at the moment, but I do remember... Maybe three years ago now, that question about someone said to me, well, I don't even remember what the question was, but I just remember that moment where I went, but everything I do is intimate. And it's been a really good challenge to start to separate that out and to kind of go, no, that is that just a defensive mechanism? Yeah. And to kind of go, yeah, we can talk quite specifically about things and we need to develop a language that it's not just all hived in my instinct. Yeah. That's not good enough. Yep. Um, it hasn't been good enough in the past and that's what the industry has said. Yeah, and, and part of that is how letting the actors have a say as well. Yeah. You know, do they feel like they need advocacy in this work, you know, yeah. in this particular production or in this particular project? Do they not, you know? So the discussion is three-dimensional now and I think that's really important. Yeah. And it's not a cookie-cutter process it is a process that is based around interrogating what each particular project is about and what are the, what are the elements that are crucial and then how do we go about ensuring that 
we create a safe space, whatever that is. So you found that found your way into this quite, is it wrong to say naturally? Like it felt like a natural progression from the skills that you already had. Yeah, I'm going to say it was a natural pr- progression in the sense that I was doing, you know, bits of that work and it was a natural progression in that for me as an individual, I've always strived to keep learning and keep developing my own practice. And I guess I had developed really great relationships over time that when, you know, that allowed me to be exposed to this kind of work and it allowed me to be exposed to this work in a very comprehensive way. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If it, yeah, I guess it was kind of a natural progression. I would say everything about my career has been a natural progression. I never ever made a decision that I wanted to be a fight coordinator or, you know, you know, I just like many people wanted to be involved in the arts, um, and obviously movement uh, was a particular element of artistic expression that was really that really interested me and that that. Um, that I chased, I guess, chased it and still do. So it's probably odds than that. That's a long answer to your question, isn't it? Oh, like I think that's, that's <laughs> look, I think that's like any, any part of working in the arts. There's only long answers to how you get to where you are. Yeah. You know, it's, there's nothing simple about it. There's no straightforward path. There's no map to follow. You have to follow your instinct and your interest, your genuine interest. And... Uh, like the industry is filled with people that are doing things that they never thought that they would start when when people are saying, now what do you want to do when you grow up? That's right. You don't say this, do you? you Yeah. But you get drawn towards a story world and a strange life of creating 3D stories for people. Yeah. Like it's a thing. It's it's like a magnet inside the idea of animation, what it is to bring something to life. And you've got that bit of metal in you that is pulled towards the magnet. I don't know. I can't explain it in other ways. I agree. I think people are kind of... I mean, being drawn to it is a great analogy. It really is. It's not from, you know, if I can speak, and I can only really speak from my own personal experience, it was, I was drawn to, to, the, to the work and to be inside the work in, in whatever way I could, really. And this was the way that the world felt was best for me. <laughs> Does it, do you feel a connection to you, like, I don't know, your 14, 15-year-old self and what you liked in the world? So, yeah, I look back at it. Funnily enough, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always loved the arts, and I, you know, I, I was brought up with a mother who was, you know, intrinsically artistic, and and so she, she instilled, obviously, very early on in me a passion for for the arts. But you know, as a fifteen-year-old boy, did I see myself necessarily having a career in the art? I, I did not. I did not, you know. I was, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it really. I guess I did have, I did, I knew that I would be involved in the arts in some way. Like for me back then it was probably I was going to be an architect, you know, more more likely to be an architect than a fight choreographer. (laughs) But isn't that funny because you say that and I think of what you do and, and the work that you do, you're kind of like a 3D story architect because you build the structures for people to work within. Yeah. Do, you know, you help them do that, build a strong structure in a funny way. I can sort of see a building. You know, so like circling a little back to to Triple X, like there's a, a central part of the play when it's a love story. So, yes, there's, there's physicality involved. It's got to be funny. 
because it is a comedy, but it's also got to ring true. And you build a, a sequence, a choreographed sequence that two actors, three actors can be involved in yeah. and feel confident in yeah. each night to react to the different circumstances because it's not film, it's different every time, but they build up a communication structure as well for them so that if something does shift and they're not happy with that, they've got a way of talking about it to keep it within a space where they're all comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah? Is that a fair thing? So it's uh, like No, it's, certainly. That's so I can see the I can see the architect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And thought about it like that. I do see the world still through through that lens in a way because I did study as an undergrad. But oh, did you? Yeah, in, uh, uh, not in architecture, but in um, town planning and urban oh, design. Okay. Actually, right. so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. You know, nothing is lost. You start out <laughs> on a path, and then you follow down your instinct and your interest, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, look, I had a wonderful mentor back then who was very quirky and in a potentially very conservative space, which can be town planning and urban design. He was he was a real lateral thinker and quite inspirational and I completely acknowledge that the influence and support he gave me to actually go and pursue something else, which was lovely. And probably wouldn't be where I am today without without that kind of support and encouragement. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but yeah, creating a space for the actors in this production and 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 looking after them, and obviously there's there's lived experience involved in this, and so there's protocols around how we talk about the work, how we invest in the work, how we step out of the work, how we look after each other post show, so closure practice, things like that are really important in this kind of work, and obviously all of that, all of that structure around it allows the performers to be able to create and express. Because they know that they're safe, and they know there's 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 consistency around the work, and there's scaffolding or superstructure around it that they can then play inside of and create, which keeps which keeps the production alive. You know, it keeps it keeps that vital energy going inside the work, and but keeps everyone safe as well. So I think that's really important. Yeah, it's interesting how we've moved from the idea of choreography to scaffolding. So that you're creating a structure to support creation rather than choreography, which has to be the same each time. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I think that they're both really valid mm-hmm. and I, I think they're both, they are determined by the production yeah. and the goals of the production and the performers. One performer might really want to lock things down very precisely um, and another performer may not. And yeah. so there's a negotiation that happens there. Which is why the work does require experience. You know, you can't kind of enter into the space without having to, without being able to understand all the processes that intersect in this work, and not being able to engage in a dialogue with the actors, a creative dialogue with the actors about what what they're doing and what they're feeling, and having that same conversation with the director. And this yeah. one, you're also, it's also interesting because, of course, Glace is at the heart of it and Glace is the playwright and performer. So yeah. you're, you're talking about a process that actually is authoring the stuff that's not in the script, yeah. in the words on the script. So you're authoring a space and you're negotiating with a playwright as well in that. Yeah. How does that fit? Oh, look, it's, it's amazing. Glace is amazing. She's so wonderful to work with. She brings so much to the room. You know, obviously intellectually and uh, the emotional investment 
in the text itself, but her own work, even the stuff we were doing today, it was just like, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, I just need to get out of Glace's way and just let her do stuff. And, you know, and, and it will be, it's, it's amazing. And so we created this whole, because we, we obviously we're, we're dealing with a different actor. So in the, for the production last year, Akash Armand was, was, playing her love interest. Yeah, beautiful Arkosh. <laughs> beautiful Arkosh, but uh, Arkosh broke his foot recently yeah. and so isn't able to do the physicality of the play, which means given the demands of the play, he's stepped out of that role and now Josh McConville is playing playing that role. So uh, it's it's quite a, a shift in gears when you, when you uh, there's a change in actors. Yeah, very it's it's you know, it's like it's an it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster, you know. It's really really miss Arkosh and, you know, he brought something very particular to the production. Um, but having Josh in, in there is just, you know, it's incredible that we got him. And so... Yep. But then, you know, what you'd built before might not be appropriate or good for this new combination of actors. So you kind change, of yeah. evolve it. And I think that's a really interesting question in the scheme of the Australian landscape because especially in musical theatre, we have a lot of works that come over and it's by the numbers, you yeah. know. We have to do the exact same production as appeared in New York. And so you're taking on physical choices uh, and psychological choices sometimes of actors who performed those roles originally. Mm. And how do we manage that as a performing country? I work in the new work space a lot. And sometimes it's that question of what playwrights are asking actors to do. Are they conscious of what they're asking, what the cost of that is, and how do we navigate it mm. uh, in such a way? But, but you know, you're making it again with two new, two new bodies and minds interacting. Yeah. Well, th I think for me, theatre is ephemeral, you know, it, it is always evolving and changing and, it, you know, it's never a satisfying experience to remount something literally the way it was done because, you know, people's energies are so different and people bring so many different things and if you invest in a collaborative process then you're always drawing on what what the performers as individuals bring into that space. So, of course, this production is going to shift slightly uh, as a result and as we honour what Josh brings, in particular thinking about the work that we've been doing this morning. So, yeah, and it's lovely. So we have something that's different uh, but it tells the same story that we want it to tell. It's fun. And it is fun. It's really interesting. I remember when I, parts of the play, when I read it, I was like, oh, my God, how are they going to do that on stage? But I think you did an amazing job. Oh, thank you. In that first iteration in making the, both the, the, re, the story alive but also incredibly entertaining. I, it was one of those things, the magic of theatre makers, where you, what's on the page reads one way. When it's up and lived and alive and complex, you go, you, you understand how that is. And I, some of the the comedy of it was quite extraordinary. I hadn't expected it to be quite so funny. Yeah, that's the beauty of a collaborative process, isn't it? And Paige's artistic vision and, you know, the being able to just sit inside that and be guided by that and work through that and having the opportunity to develop the work in such a way is is wonderfully fulfilling. Yeah. Oh, look, I can't wait for the audience to meet it because I think, um, and when you come to the play, and you're all going to have to come to the play now, um, when you see it, you'll you'll see the heart, the heart of the play is an incredibly complex construction. You'll just enjoy it when you see it, but thinking back, Humans had to make that. Yeah. They had to imagine it. I mean, yes, Glace had to write it, but then a, a team had to come around it to bring that to life. And the complexity of doing that, when you think about it, look at the stage and kind of go, 
hmm, it's very different to my job. And it blows me away what, what theatre performers are able to do for us. They, they bring fiction to life in such a way that provokes us to think far more deeply than when we see stories told journalistically or on the page. We've got real bodies doing this. Yeah. And yep. the navigation of how to do that in an exciting but also safe way is sort of the challenge of the this time that we're in. Probably 20 years ago, there was a... 30 years ago, there was a lot more conversation about the physical safety. Mm. And mm. now as society is changing, and not necessarily around the world, but in in certainly in America and in England and here in Australia and culturally differently in all of those three places, we're navigating a different way of working, mm. which I think is not unconnected to the business spaces, except that we just don't sit at desks. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> and yeah, we deal with different parameters. You know, like like we said before, uh, the role of an actor and what an actor is asked to do is manifestly different to 90% of other people I mean, and it's, it's interesting too for me, like it, being up in Brisbane, because I find Brisbane and Brisbane performers incredibly courageous physically because there's a great tradition of physical theatre work up here, which extends into that circa place. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and I find that audiences are very uh, attuned to the, the wonder of physical challenge. And, and we've got very brave physical actors here in, in the city. But in the new workspace, it asks for a psychological courage as well, both for performers but also for audience. And I feel excited to be in this age where we're acknowledging that courage as opposed to just taking it for granted. Yes. And not being accountable uh, for not taking care of people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a fascinating time to be in. I'm, I'd much prefer to be now than 20 years ago. Yeah, I think I way. would too, yeah. <laughs> it's different. It's different. It's wonderful to be going to a room and... There's everyone has a voice, you know. I think that's, and that has changed over the years for yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, interesting talking to friends working in theatre in England and in America, where it's changing and how it's changing and how it's different. Mm. There's there's always there's always been a, a push towards a possibly a more democratic space in the Australian rehearsal rooms than I've found either in America or in England. Yeah, uh, and I think the question of how we really create a better communication, a possibility for better communication in Australian rehearsal rooms would be something I would like to see spreading out to the rest of the world. Because yeah. I feel like w there are conversations possible in the making of new work here that are not yet possible in, in England. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. And and also that, that knowledge that we have to form our own language around how to do this. We can't just import best practice from overseas because it's very wound up with culture here. In everywhere, but yeah, I think so. It's an extension of how we see ourselves as as a as a nation, I suppose. How we like to see ourselves, and that best practice is really connected to who we would like to be in our fiction expression. I'm drifting off into a bigger question. No, I now, agree. But I think we can we can look to what's happening in certain areas and look at the best best practice and adopt that. But it will always change to suit. The context, you know, that's the thing that's important. That and it's going to be people. No cookie cutter for well, it. no, and there'll be people like you who are in the rooms making the new work, who are really forging a language in Australia for how we will work together over the next twenty years. So it's really exciting. And if you're interested in this, you must come and see Triple X.
Uh, we're in rehearsal now, uh, but it's coming up on stage very soon. Very soon. Very soon. <laughs> very exciting. Um, but come and see it. It's a, fasc- it's a fascinating question. If you sit there and you go, gosh, how would I make that? There are big challenges inside the play, but there's such a beauty, there's such a heart in it. And you, you know, that lovely thing about a new work, it's never been written before. And That's right. the audience here is going to see it for the first time in the world. <laughs> never been put in front of an audience. Well, so. tw- just twice, just well. twice. But this version, no, new, new. So thank you for this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. I can't wait to see what, you, what you've done. And it's really lovely to have you back in the, back in the company. It's lovely to be here. Thanks, Nigel. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listened all the way to the end. Well done. If you're on a treadmill (laughs) somewhere, I hope it's got you through your 5K happily. But if you're sitting at home and thinking, oh, maybe I will go and see that play. I didn't necessarily subscribe to it, but uh, I might just pick up a single ticket. Check it out online and I look forward to seeing you in the foyer. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lee. Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye! <laughs>